0: Built to sell radio with your host, John Worlow. Hi, this is John Worlow. You're about to hear an interview with Jeff Davis. Jeff sold legal artworks back in October 2014 and has an interesting story of an 11-year run where he was able to build out of business where he was only really going in once a week. Uh, And that was one of the key prerequisites that got him to be able to get to an offer stage with a number of different buyers. So I think it's an interesting interview and, and points to a really key point of making your business as sellable as it possibly can be that but it doesn't necessarily rely on you. A big shout out and thanks to Gary Hallett. Uh, Gary is a certified value builder and uh, runs a company called Gateway Business Advisors. And Gary nominated Jeff as an entrepreneur. We should speak to Gary and Jeff know one another, both from Jacksonville, Florida. And Gary had introduced us to uh, to Jeff. So we we're just grateful for that. If you've got a nomination of someone we should interview for Built to Sell Radio, please go to builttosell.com slash nominate. And tell us about who we should interview because we're always looking for great interviews, people who have sold a company before. So, without further ado, Jeff Davis. Hey, Jeff, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about the business you recently sold.
1: So it was a real niche business, and usually when somebody asks me what I do, I just go right into an explanation because I can tell they're not going to know what I'm talking about. But it was a medical legal trial presentation company, which is basically a litigation support company. So we helped trial lawyers visually communicate their cases and so I had a staff of medical illustrators, computer animators, graphic designers, interactive programmers, and law firms uh, primarily in uh, personal injury, medical malpractice, nursing home negligence uh, law firms would call us to help them uh, present their case and make it more compelling and more persuasive.
0: So when I drive along the interstate and I see those big billboards, it's like, you know, hurt in an accident, call, you yeah. know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, those, those guys were your customers.
1: Yeah, I saw those as prospects, Yeah,
0: I got it. Okay, okay. And then you would draw things that would help a, a jury or a judge visualize sort of the the case and, and the litigation yeah, sort of case.
1: Yeah, exactly. Ana, uh, anatomical Images, surgical images. We ended up expanding into corporate litigation, construction litigation.
0: Okay, That's well, a crazy business. To, how on earth did you get into that business? Yeah. Well, um,
1: I'm an entrepreneur first. I've always been artistic as well. And so uh, I was always really clear that I didn't want to be a starving artist. And, uh, and I was always, you know, when I started my first business, when I was 15, I pitched this big uh, national clothing line, had my parents drive me to their corporate headquarters. So for me, when I I always only wanted to do something I was passionate about, I've never been interested in just getting a job. And so, you know, I started a skateboard company when I was in college, uh, like skateboarding. When I realized I was good at drawing. I thought what would be a realistic business that I could create around my passion for drawing stuff. And so I created this business that I could draw for a buyer that has a budget and is an ongoing need, you know, so I started to, uh, started to look around and I saw medical and legal and, uh, and they've are you know, there's high stakes. They're asking for sometimes millions of dollars so they can have a budget for stuff like this. And so, um, I ended up Making my, I, went, I went and got a master's degree in medical illustration. Now, in hindsight, I realized I could have just hired a medical illustrator, but in my 20s, that seemed like the smart thing to do. And so I got a master's degree in medical illustration and then uh, did my master's thesis specifically on medical illustrations for litigation because even though I'd never heard the term a business plan, instinctively I knew I need to start figuring stuff out and so my master's thesis was essentially my business plan.
0: And you started this business when, Jeff? In 2003. 2003, and then you sold it in 2014. So yeah. kind of an 11-year run. You know, Give us a sense of how big the company got. What what, what was your uh, number of employees or whatever you want to describe?
1: Yeah, so I, I incorporated out of my parents' converted garage, uh, which was kind of like a garage that they turned into a room that over the years turned back into a garage with a tile floor. And uh, I had a net worth of about minus five bucks. I think I'd overdraft by five bucks uh, on something to get it started. And I just worked my face off and called every firm. I grew it. At first, I was just marketing it locally and then statewide and then all over the country. Um, I went from just me to a staff of nine people really quickly, um, and, and at that point, I started kind of transitioning more to independent contractors to fill in roles so we could scale up or down with seasonality and things like that, but, but at the time I sold, I had clients in, uh, I want to say, about 34 states around the country, maybe a little more.
0: That's fantastic, fantastic. And so, what, what made you want to sell? Was there a triggering event that, that made you want to sell the business?
1: Yeah, so there was a. a st- I started to get an overall sense of it, and then there was a particular event that triggered it. Uh, the overall sense of it was I, I. started to. I mean, I'm just really passionate about entrepreneurship in general, and being around entrepreneurs. I love to surround myself around other entrepreneurs and CEOs. So I had this idea of this community of uh, entrepreneurs and CEOs that I wanted to create here, uh, where I, in the area where I live. And I started thinking about that and how it would look and all that stuff. And I started to notice I was I was starting to get more into that than uh, my quote unquote day job. And so around the time that this was happening, I'd, I had recently hired a new salesperson. And um, as you know, that can just managing sales people can be kind of stressful in general. But I had this one particular new sales hire that kept continuously missing, kept saying, "Oh, I can't come in today." Oh, texting, you know, "I'm not going to be able to make it today." And, uh, and, and their first six months had taken off more time than two employees that had been with my company for almost 10 years combined. Hmm. And, uh, and I had a talk and then another talk and it was basically like, all right, this is, you know, this is your last chance. And so, uh, there was this big event that we sponsored. Uh, it was in, you know, our local NFL team, the Jacksonville Jaguars stadium, that uh, was not a small undertaking to be a sponsor at this event. Um, you know, our name, uh, our logo on, the, on all these screens all over, it was a lot, you know, hundreds of trial attorneys at this event. And this was the, their last chance to save, pretty much save their, uh, their position. And they were very aware of that. And I get a text about two hours before the event, I'm not going to be able to make it. Blah, blah, blah. And I oh my God, are you kidding me? I picked up the phone, called, furious, and, you know, said basically, you know, this isn't going to work out. You know, you, I've given you all these shots. And, uh, and it, it turns out, I'm not making this up. Uh, she tells me that she had just taken enough pills to kill herself and that an ambulance was on its way over. And it, it was the, craziest feeling and I immediately shifted everything I was saying from why it was a disappointment and didn't work out to how great she is and how much potential she is and how everybody loves her and now she's gonna be you know just such a bizarre phone call and um and then uh you know I don't want to go too much into the details obviously won't mention the person's name but uh but then I get this really weird call later that night where she's clearly out of it and then have this other conversation where she didn't even remember any of the conversations and I had to do it again. And uh, I think that's when I decided, well, I think that's enough. At the same
0: time... When you say you decided you think that's enough, you mean you, you'd had enough of running your own business? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's time for a change. Because I was already... Thinking about it now, at the same time as as those two things that I mentioned, uh, another part of it was I had taken, and we can get into this in a minute. I had taken myself gradually more and more out of the business to where I got myself to where I was barely doing anything in the business at that time, and uh, as all these other things are all going, so it's not just one or two things. But at the same time, I had people that had been with me for literally a decade. And I felt like the business wasn't fulfilling its potential. I knew that and it was still growing a little bit, you know, but – and it was it was easy money. But at the same time, I kind of started to feel a little bit guilty about that and I felt like it's time for the – if the business was one of my kids, it's time for it to go to college and become a grown-up.
0: And-, and, and why didn't you want to take it there, Jeff? Like why, why? – because it, it sounds like you'd built it up to be a successful company – That from what you're saying, you you could have ramped again. I think a lot of listeners can empathize with that and say, yeah, I could probably ramp this up another two, five, ten years. But why in your case did you not want to invest the next five or ten years to ramp it up again?
1: Just because I knew how much would be involved to do that properly and I wasn't the – guy for the job.
0: When you there's, say you knew what was involved, what what do you mean? Uh, I mean there's I mean that's a involved. lot
1: of work. Yeah. That's a lot of capital. There's some risk, there's going to be a lot of stress in that, there's going to be and I was at a point where I was literally coming in one day a week and that one day a week I was taking a long lunch break and not, you know, really having to do all that much. Um, how did you I swing
0: can, that with your employees? Like, uh, the other, like, how did you kind of finesse and talk around the idea that, well, where's Jeff? It's, he's only here once a week.
1: Yeah, no, for years, I was, always felt like I had to be the first one in and the last one out. And, and I was for years. And uh, it, it started off where I would take a day, uh, a year to get away from the business and focus on the business. And then it got to where I started doing that once a month. And then it started to be where I got it, where I would do that for the staff once a week. And then, um, and then it got to where like, I was kind of really slacking off that one day a week. Um, and then it got to where uh, the way I positioned it with the staff um, was, it w- and it was all true, is we were looking to grow. We were trying to get somebody who could invest in the business and take it to the next level, which is true. And I said, I told them that a thing that's coming up in these meetings is they are worried that if I get, in a, I get T-boned in an accident and die, the company's not worth much, so we need to be able to prove to them. I, I told them, I know that you guys are the real brains behind this business. You guys know that as well, but I need to be able to show them that you guys are able to run this. So I want to do some tests where I'll just, you know, I started off. I didn't just go overnight, but I would go two weeks away where they, nobody knows where I am. They got to figure it out on their own. And then it got to where I'd, you know, do another week where a test run where they're doing it all themselves. But, I mean, there's lots to it. I didn't just go from you know, working 80 hours a week to eight. And that could be a whole 30-minute phone call there. And maybe if you if you want to do a second uh, call just about the transitioning to get taking yourself out of the business, I, I could do that. But that's a kind of longer conversation. But, uh, yeah, and part of me was a little concerned. that they might be like, who the hell does this guy think he is? But I empowered them and, um, you know, did different things. And uh, it worked.
0: So take us, Jeff, from... You have this crazy phone call with this employee, um, you decide, okay, that's it. I want to sell to offer in hand I and mean, walk us through the negotiation process. Did you hire a an advisor, a broker um, you know to, just to walk us through that negotiation process if you could okay, yeah, I did and you, you did hire a broker or an advisor yes, yeah
1: yes, and um uh and then I also did things on my own as well. And that would be something that I would tell your listeners to do is sort of like, you know, if you're going to hire a realtor to sell your house, you wouldn't just think, oh, well, I'm giving them a piece of it. They should keep the house clean and, uh, uh, you know, and make it presentable and make it available or, you know, whatever. You know, I did whatever I could on my end as well. And so one of the, one of the things that I did was I, identified people who had sold businesses for a good amount. Ideally, people had sold similar kinds of businesses if possible. And I picked their brains, um, became a student. Uh, books like yours are in, uh, invaluable to thinking about things that you wouldn't think to do until it's maybe a little too late.
0: So give us an example of one thing that you did ta- tactically in the business to, uh, you know, to, to, in your case, the equivalent of, you know, g- you know, keeping it clean as you would in a home, but like w- give me one tactical thing you did to, uh, to make your business present as well as you could.
1: One of those things was to get myself out of it. There's a thing called the key man discount, the, which, uh, you know, I have a mentor who's a venture capitalist and, um, and he was telling me one time over lunch about this key man discount a few years ago, and how basically, if if they a buyer feels like the key man or woman whose you know company it is without them, all, you know the company is not the same. They that's the key man discount, and they'll discount uh, a good chunk because they realize that that person is you know, kind of holding it together and without them, there's not nearly as much there to it. And I guarantee you a lot of people hearing this right now are going gulp because they realize without them, uh, there's not as much there no matter what they say. The reality of it is, you know, uh, I I meet with other CEOs and business owners all the time and I asked someone the other day, um, how long would you say you could be away from your business without the business feeling it? And he said in seconds or minutes.
0: <laughs> that's a problem. So you yeah, get
1: that's a pro- but so yeah, go
0: ahead. No, I was just say so you get the business um, ready to sell to make sure to basically you proof it so that you're 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 making sure it runs without you.
1: Yeah, another uh, thing. Yeah, go I ahead. Did, yeah, another thing I did was I identified growth opportunities, but not just pie in the sky opportunities. Like I literally thought them out and how it would happen and what it would cost. And, you know, we need to hire a person to do this. And that would probably be about this much a year. Uh, and this is how we would do it. We'd do this. I mean, pretty, like I pretty much gave them a blueprint of, I personally gave them 12 growth opportunities. Um, another thing that I did was I tried to, you know, everybody has this hockey stick looking projection of sure. we, You know, we've plateaued for the last three years, but uh, the next three years, oh, look out. It's going to get crazy. Um, You know, they don't – they can see right through that. So I tried to get – if I'm going to project growth, you know, over the next few years, I'm going to try to get the first year at least looking like that. So uh, we even initiated a new division and got some revenue coming in from a new division. Um, I identified over a hundred potential strategic buyers. Wow, hundreds! Over a hundred, and and so, you know, you might think, oh, I'll think of like I can think of three or four businesses that this might be a good fit for, maybe geographically they don't have any business in this market and maybe this would be a good market for them to go into or maybe defensive value that maybe one of my competitors might be good for them to be able to acquire it instead of some big company acquiring it and taking over and trust me i was leveraging that you know in the selling of the business too uh, all those things so um Uh, and, and I would, you know, who, who has complimentary businesses that this would be a perfect upsell to what they're already selling. They already have buyers buying things that this would be a perfect thing for that. They could just easily add this to their point of sale or, um, you know, this would, they sell something that people would buy before this. Sure. And, but I, but I, yeah, I identified over a hundred of them
0: and did you get so walk us through the actual you know getting very tactical of the actual negotiation itself so you had a broker mm-hmm. um, you gave the broker obviously this list of a hundred potential strategic acquirers. Mm-hmm. did they run a formal process where they they sought out you know strategic acquirers did they did they advertise the business Like, they went walk yeah through they, that.
1: yeah, they went through that list, and I think they might have pulled a few out that they thought wouldn't be a fit, and they added some. Through their own resources. And, uh, you know, they had a whole other network of businesses, including financial buyers. And for anybody listening that's not to understand the difference between a strategic buyer and a financial buyer, a strategic buyer is a buyer that, uh, you know, it makes sense strategically. So not just an investment, they actually know about it and can see where it fits into their overall strategy. They'll pay more by the way than somebody who just sees it as somebody buying it. And so we, I had meetings, you know, they were more, you know, finding potential financial buyers, maybe somebody who, who was semi-retired, but wants something that they can do and grow, or maybe somebody, they they have a lot of money and they're looking for an opportunity for their now grown child that to be able to get involved in and Help them grow. Um, somebody that had, you know, some experience in a kind of similar business, but they want to do their own thing, but don't want to build it from scratch. So, you know, just or they just are looking for investments. You know, they just want to buy some small businesses. So, they they help facilitate some of those meetings and, you know, put feelers out to different people. They they set up some meetings I would have never known those people.
0: And ultimately, um, did you get down to a short list of offers that you were reviewing? Did you get one offer, multiple offers?
1: So we got, uh, we, we sent out maybe like say a hundred teasers with like a one or two page teaser. And then, um, which, you know, they had to sign a disclosure, And then from that you had, I don't remember how many that wanted to know more about the business. And then, Uh, From that, you had people that actually wanted to have conversations about it. And then from that, filtered down to people that would make, uh, you know, a sort of soft offer range, but it wasn't necessarily a letter of intent. Um, Down to, you know, know, I I think at one point we had maybe – Three to five people that were interested. We had had meetings with that we were talking about it with. Um, and, and if you can get them into a competitive scenario, that definitely benefits
0: you. Is that what you did, Jeff?
1: But I, it's what I tried to do. But I don't think. I mean, I don't think that played a part in it. I mean, we definitely let the other everybody know that we have a, a potential buyer that we're having a second meeting with and that kind of thing. Um, But ultimately, I don't think that – I don't know for sure, but I don't think that necessarily influenced the deal that we ended up doing.
0: Who did you ultimately sell to?
1: I sold to a biotechnology company that doesn't do what we do, obviously, but they created this software that – trial lawyers love that it helps visualize, uh, inside of the body using actual MRIs and CT scans. And, uh, but that's the only thing that they do and offer. So we can, uh, we could show all these steps that happened, you know, you know, happy and healthy. We can show, we can show how the injury happened, you know, then, then their software shows the imagery of the anatomy and then back to us, we can show you know, the surgical procedures. We can show you know, the, the timeline of care afterwards. So it fit very complimentary. And, um, it, and in this particular situation, we had sent a teaser to this uh, potential buyer at the time, which didn't really get much reaction. And then just as things work out, the CEO was at a conference, I don't even know where, somewhere else in the country, and was in a conversation with the CEO of another litigation support company based out of San Francisco they're talking happened to know uh, me and of uh, our company and knew that we were uh, talking with potential buyers and mentioned it and, and introduced us and, and it went from there
0: and so they were at the table as one of these two or three kind of uh, offers that you were evaluating yeah, and and how much better was their offer relative to the others that you were reviewing? Or I guess another question would be, why did you ultimately select them versus the others that you were considering?
1: Yeah, part of it was because uh, of the the personality of the owner and uh, buyer slash investor. There was there was actually somebody that was offering more, um, but. It just, I just imagine getting calls from him all the time, and it didn't seem like I would be happier. So, I'm kind of weird. I filter every decision, even business decisions, through will I be happier. It really is an amazing little trick. If you think of all these different things, I've I've had so many opportunities that that will come up, and I'll just like, oh, I could make more money there, and well, we could do that there, and then I think, well, then this guy, who's kind of uh, arrogant jerk I'd be all in my face, you know? And I think, I don't think I would necessarily be happier. There'd be more money in the bank, but I don't think I'd be happier.
0: Jeff, so how, anyway. how big a, a Delta, how big a difference was there between the, the annoying guy who was offering more and the, and the guy that you saw eye to eye with? I mean, is it 10% more that you walked yeah, away from 50%? hundred percent?
1: ton. Yeah. Maybe like 10%, maybe not, not, not a ton. And the other thing was uh, the, the one that was offering more, it was over more time and I was be more involved. So I was looking for uh, terms where in a transition. I, did, I was only coming in once a week as it was, so I certainly wasn't looking to come in even more.
0: So, so you were looking for uh, – d- describe the transition you were looking for ideally and what you ended up getting. Because a yeah. lot of people in a business like yours would have had a two- or three-year earnout. Uh, you know, a portion up front with a portion deferred. Yeah, How yeah that and mine
1: is broken up into different parts in a similar way. But, um, but uh, yeah, I had, you know, I, I had one guy that was like, it's over five years and I stay involved. And I had, you know, I'd be another person was, I'd be pretty involved for three years. Um, and this one was um, basically come in once a week for anywhere from three to nine months. And, uh, and stay on as an advisor. And I actually, uh, and another thing that was appealing about the company that I sold to is they're growing really fast and have a lot of momentum and seem really hungry and have a new fresh, uh, offering to the marketplace that's already starting to get kind of copied. But, um, and so, uh, I I saw a lot of opportunity in that and wanted to kind of be a part of that as well. And, uh, I liked the owner a lot and I could see the, my, my team getting along well with him. And I had actually promised them that I wouldn't, uh, I, the, the way I put it is I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell it to an asshole. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to use the.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fine. A word is fine. Okay, the, but- um, uh, So your deal is structured, and again, for for folks listening, it will be helpful for you to share with them um, kind of the milestones you need to hit. I mean, uh, if you can share a little bit of detail about uh, you know how the how the not what the payment, but how the payments are structured. Like, is it you know one you know payment every year over three years or over six months over whatever? Yeah, and and then maybe proportions of of the overall. Take and, and what okay. you know what they're tied to is do you have to meet milestones or is it just that you show up once a, once a week?
1: Yeah. So um, and again, my deal is just my deal. It doesn't mean that this is the way uh, the people listening should do it or have to do it. There's you know a million different ways that you could do it. Um, and one thing that I would add is is uh, you know I can't tell you how important it is to not wait until you're really ready to sell your business, to put it for sale. Because if you wait until you're like, all right, it's time. And then it ends up going for two years. By the two year point, you're going to start really being flexible on, on, uh, terms and, and the structure of the deal because you're just ready. So The best position you'll ever be in to negotiate the terms that you want is if you don't give a crap if you do it or not. and You could do it, you know, you could make it whatever you want and it's not worth it to sell for anything less, then that's fine. You don't care if you sell it or you don't sell it. Um, I mean, you don't want to make it so that people start knowing your business has been on the market for five years without a buyer because then, People start to be concerned, but, you know, you don't want to wait until you're like, you get to a point where you're like, oh God, just somebody, please save me. Sure. You don't want that. So, um, so people say like, oh, I think, you know, I, I want to sell it in two years. But if you're really thinking like it would be nice though, to do that, like in a month, just do it now, get somebody who knows what they're doing now because you're going to be in the best bargaining position if you don't give a crap if, if, if they do it. Right. These are the terms. This is how it is. But so, anyway, for my deal, um, partly because the company I sold it to has so much momentum and they're growing, um, I wanted to be involved. So I took a portion um, of the deal in shares in their business. So I essentially invested, took the money and instantly invested it into that business.
0: And, Jeff, are those shares in a public company? Is it private? It's private, but as we speak,
1: it's in the process of becoming publicly traded. Literally, uh, the CEO is telling me it could happen like – between Wednesday and Friday of this week,
0: and how do you how do you structure your shares so that you're not diluted in the in the event that the CEO brings on additional investors or like did you have any provisions to make sure that your position doesn't get diluted?
1: Yeah, we, I mean, I had uh, lawyers and CPAs on my side involved, obviously to understand that stuff better than me. Um, you know, I, that's not my strongest area, so I would just trust their judgment to, to protect me as much as they can. But, um, you know, I understood that there is risk and you know, you buy shares in a company. There's no guarantee that that's going to turn ever be cash. That could go, you know, the company could go to zero. I under, And, and e- even in the documents, I signed documents when getting those shares that flat out would say, you know, you understand that you you shouldn't invest unless you're willing to lose this money you know and so you know i'm an entrepreneur so i think what i said it i was like you know what i told my lawyer i was like i'm an entrepreneur man this is this is what i do i take some chances and so uh you know and there's no telling that you know, it could go public and tank but uh
0: so what portion of your deal did you take in shares like yeah so i split, percentage?
1: yeah i split i split it you know more or less about a third a third a third so i get uh I get every year for the next three years. I get a lump sum payment wired over, and uh, I got I got uh, a closing an amount at closing. I got an, an amount that I get every year for the next three years, and then I got an amount in shares uh, in the business. Which you never know. I mean that that part that. Could end up being worth more than all of it combined two years from now, and it could be nothing. But uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's what it. Is. I'm, you can tell my wife isn't sitting next to me when I say that.
0: <laughs> She'd be like, "Take it all in cash, Jeff. What are you doing?" Yeah,
1: no, she believes it. You know, she. She usually trusts me and, and is willing to, and I, I, I laid it out to her, you know, she's like, "Oh, if you believe it.
0: Now, Jeff, the, the lump sum that you get once a year over the next three years, is that, yeah. con- is that contingent on the business meeting right, yeah. certain, certain targets or thresholds, or is it?
1: To a degree. Um, and so what we did was uh, we put a bottom on it. We put a floor on on how low it can go, so I'm guaranteed. A certain amount. So what they'll do, if anybody's not familiar with that is they might say you get X amount each year, depending on the performance of the business. And if uh, the revenue drops below this amount, then instead of, you know, what you hoped you're getting, you're actually going to get this amount to keep, to incentivize you to, you know, keep it going and stay, you know, doing whatever you can to grow the business. Um, and we, I do have that, but I also have an upside as well. So there's an upside and a downside. So if the company's crushing it, then I can get more than that amount as well. And so and we put a floor on the downside. So
0: And is that contingent on your your piece like your basically division of this larger company's performance or is it the performance our, of the overall company?
1: Our our particular company
0: within the bigger company.
1: Yeah, within the bigger company, our particular so then and they compared they they use the trailing twelve months as the um, sort of baseline of what it's measured against
0: got it and then so would you mind sharing uh, not the numbers but more like the multiple of earnings that the kind of that you'll that you'll ultimately that you got I guess for that the the business at the kind of floor level um, do you have a, a sense of what that equates to in terms of a multiple of EBITDA
1: yeah it was uh, I think just under five, just a hair under five times EBITDA.
0: And that was the floor?
1: Uh, yeah, that that's that was the sort of the baseline. Got it. I think, then, we, I
0: think we had a little cushion below
1: before it affects my amount. But uh, it's been about eight months. I haven't looked at it. I don't even remember. I'm kind of a set it and forget it kind of guy. <laughs> I,
0: well, I'm glad you brought that up. I'd love to know um, – kind of what life has been like since the sale. You just, I mean, you really just sold the business a few months ago. So, I mean, what's been the most surprising thing about life after selling a business?
1: Yeah, I guess uh, the but first starting with my feeling when the deal was official, um, I was kind of surprised. I bawled like a little baby. I didn't cry like that when <laughs> my kids were born or my wedding. I mean, I was bawling. Crying for me personally. Now, I was overwhelmed with emotion. Part of it was like, wow, I did it. I did it just because I, I realized it's such a small percentage of businesses that are able to be sold. I mean, a really small percentage of businesses are able to be sold. Um, I, I got uh, a good amount that I was really happy about. It was going to a- enable me to do some things that I wanted, always wanted to do. Um, and Part of it was I, was I worked so freaking hard the first few years. I mean, you can't imagine three in the morning, four in the morning, coming or going downtown with a suit and tie, working 20 hours. I worked you know all night, every night, every weekend, all weekend. I mean, for years, started it from nothing, for I told you you know, minus five dollars to where I grew it to this business. I felt really proud of myself. I felt uh, really happy about what I could do for my family. I felt uh, it was a long journey of, media, of, of the selling part. You know, I was met, met with buyers that would almost happen, then it fell apart. Then this other buyer would almost happen, and then almost fall apart. And then you know, it's it's exhausting. So emotionally, I was pretty drained. I was already you know almost down, and then that was like the knockout punch. And then part of it was just. Nostalgia, you know, of like this was my baby and it's officially, you know, somebody else's company. But overall, good feeling, good feelings. Um, so uh, I had, you know, I had drinks out on the counter. I had even made a playlist of songs just for when it was official. Um, so that was kind of surprising to me. Um, another surprising thing is the reaction that uh, people uh, have when I tell them I sold my business is sort of this wow, like surprise. Look like how did you do that? Um, another surprising feeling was uh, that you know, not much long ever, and I think this is my own personal personality. I'm just sort of an achiever type of mentality that like what's the next thing I would like to grow things and uh, it was kind of how now there's the next thing, there's always the next thing you know if I could just grow the business you know to here, and then if I could just be able to sell the business and then you sell the business and now I've got you know, all these other milestones. So it's not like you're in this total meditative state of peace hereafter for the rest of your life. Hopefully you can do that. The, oh, if you can do that, that's awesome. And, and depending on where you're at in your life, you know, if you're at the retirement age, then you can do that. You've, you know, you've saved, you've earned it and you can just relax and enjoy yourself. And you should, I'm uh, you know, when I sold the business, I was, uh, you know, uh, only 41 or 42. Um, and so, uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of living, I'm, I'm planning to go skydiving when I'm past a hundred. So, uh, I got, you know, I'm not done. It was kind of surprising that it was just replaced with the next thing to start and actually gave myself even more work starting something from scratch.
0: Was there, was there any, uh, I mean, did you go through in your mind uh, the pros and cons of of doing another business? Uh, did, was there any a time that you you contemplated hanging it up completely and say, well, you know, maybe I'll just retire? I mean, did you did you have those no. thoughts or no? No,
1: no, and I don't think I. That's a personal thing. I don't think when I'm 80, I'll be retired. I I, I think the human brain needs something to grow especially an entrepreneurial person you need to do something where you're growing uh... you're you're contributing in something in some way you're doing something that matters you're doing something that uses your passion i think the worst thing you could do is just lay on a couch or or you know stare out watch tv all day um... so I, i actually already had my idea what i wanted to do next before i even sold the business um, and so I joke that I say I retired for four days and I was already starting my next adventure. Um, now I, trust me, I have friends who are younger than me that they said they, you know, they'll go a couple more years sell and they are good with retiring and just enjoying life. And, and, you know, they're, they're right too, is whatever's right for you. Um, but, uh, as long as they don't just, you know, start to feel like they're just, killing time until they die. I think that would be a a terrible (laughs) feeling.
0: Sure. Sure. I I love this question. And I have to ask, did you allow yourself one, one indulgence, one purchase that you would never have allowed yourself before you sold that, that you've now uh, made having, having sold your business, any, any indulgence that you, uh, that you can share?
1: Well, um, I actually got myself something before I sold that was something I had I had planned to get myself after I sold, <clears throat> and but then I was just like you know what I'm just gonna get it now. If I sell it, I sell it. If I don't, I don't. But I, yeah, I got a Maserati Quattroporte.
0: Ah, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah.
1: Good. so a part of that I was probably more midlife crisis than selling my. <laughs>
0: So that's the four door model, hence the Quattroporte. Is yeah. that right? I, my uh, my Italian is limited, but uh, <laughs> yeah, and,
1: yes, and it's funny because I've got two car seats in the back of it, and my my six year old's already puked in it. It was just
0: because they baby puke all over the seats. Yeah, already
1: puked in it. Already already driven it to a corn maze. Uh, I've already done everything wrong. I use I mean I it's you know but yeah.
0: There you go. Well That's great, uh, Jeff. Give us a sense of where people can get in touch with you now. Uh yeah,
1: people can email me at Jeff at PlantheAttack.com. I'm always happy to help. Um they, Tell we, us a little
0: bit about Plan the Attack, yeah.
1: Yeah, so so um I had so I, I was mentioning how I worked all night, every night, every weekend, 80 hour weeks, stressed out all the time, and I transitioned to working a day a week. That didn't just happen you know, on its own. So I reached a point where I couldn't take it anymore. I reached my, what I call my pain threshold. And, and I was bawling, crying with my wife. There's two times you've already heard about me crying. Um, Luckily, I got a little flaky here. Yeah, I know, man. I got, I got through this interview without crying a single time. Isn't that awesome? But so, uh, so I, I, you know, told my wife, I promise something's got to change. My big thing is I didn't want to be celebrating revenue with a fifth wife or alone. And so I realized, um, you know, that that was real important to me and and God bless my wife for putting up with everything and believing in the vision. Um, but so after a while, you know, it's kind of like, all right, it's years and years now. When's this ever going to change? So I drove out of town to a hotel and by the ocean, I got a pad of paper and a pen and I sat there and looking out the window and I was just resolved to design an architect, the kinda business I wanted to have, the kinda year I wanted to have, the kinda life I wanted to have. And I sat there for hours and hours and hours trying to figure it all out and I started to do certain things differently. It wasn't like the next Monday I had this great new life at all. It took a lot of trying different things, testing this out, doing this, testing this out, but over the years I started to figure out certain ways to do that. And so I went back the next year. I did it again at the same place. And Over the years, I started to fantasize about this day where entrepreneurs and CEOs from all over the place could all get together, disconnect from their businesses, disconnect from their email, from their phone calls, from the you got a second questions, get in a ballroom, all with other like-minded entrepreneurs and CEOs who are in the same boat, and plan their attack for the coming years. So, um, in December, 2013, I didn't know if anybody else would want to do it. I just reserved a ballroom, uh, hired the top, you know, event planner. Cause I'd never put on an event before. Um, I asked some amazing entrepreneurs to come in and give these talks on tactical talks of what they did, how they did it on people who are actually crushing it or, or already crushed it. Um, And, uh, and then had people had a place where people who wanted to be in that room could go register. And we called the event plan the attack. Um, it ended up being one of my favorite days of my entire life. It was, I mean, unbelievable day. Um, and uh, you know, we had uh, – nobody even knew who the speakers were. All the speakers were surprises. So I started telling this about this guy who sold a business for $1.2 billion in Dubai and pretended like I couldn't remember how he did it. So I had him come up on the stage and tell the story. Um, and stuff like that. I had two brothers who sold, who did, who did, they still own their business, but they went from three people to now over 700, doing over 400 million a year in revenue. Uh, talk about what they did to grow that way. They did that in nine years, by the way. They're like in their early 40s. Um, but, but opened it up to anybody who owns a small business, even if they're an army of one, could be in the room with all these people interacting and brainstorming. It was an amazing day. So we did it again last year in December and we're going to do it again uh, this year and got an even bigger ballroom for it this year, but it's still a pretty small event.
0: So, Jeff, um, that's so we checked that out at plantheattack.com? Yep, yeah, yeah. And you're Jeff at plantheattack.com, and Jeff is J-E-F-F, right? That's it, yeah. Awesome. Jeff, thank you so much for joining. I think your story is inspiring for many. I really appreciate you sharing
1: it. Uh, no, I'm happy to, to do it. I, I feel like if I didn't, I mean, after all these different guys were willing to share their experience with me, I'd be a a jerk if I didn't uh, share it with other people. So (laughs) uh, I wish everybody the best of luck. Just have a ton of perseverance. And I'll leave you with this. The day that the company sold, all the paperwork was done. All the documents were signed. And I was at my house. It was a Friday afternoon, and I was pacing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. My wife's sitting there on the couch. She's like, I don't understand. You just said everybody signed all the deal. All the paperwork isn't, is done. Why are you so nervous? You're making me nervous. And I said, when they wire the money, the, it's a deal as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so she gets out her phone. She goes to our bank, you know, our, the bank app on her phone, and she looks at it. And it's not there, you know. She's like, okay. So just, she just keeps hitting the refresh button. A couple of minutes go by. She's hitting the refresh button on the couch. I'm just pacing around like a madman. And then all of a sudden, I hear her say, oh, my God. And I went, no, no. She turned the phone, showed me how our account had changed. And that's when I just started bawling like crazy. And we hugged each other. And I... Poured myself a cocktail and played my uh, CD of songs that I had planned out for when that moment happened. And it was one of the best feelings ever.
0: That's awesome. What a great story to end on. Jeff, thank you so much. Yeah, man. Anytime.